Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today on the show, Andrew Sanford returns for another movie review. Here I am. I'm naked. I'm naked. I'm talking to you like you were real. Go to hell. That's right. We're talking about the Christopher Walken 1989 movie adaptation of Communion. You, you people, you're in. I'm telling you, you're in for one big surprise. One very big surprise. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. I got a lot of thoughts. I'm excited to dig in. Awesome. Well, we might as well just dig in. There's no better way than to just go headfirst into communion. Yeah, man. Yeah. So once again, I am joined by Andrew Sanford for another UFO slash alien movie review. We're going to be reviewing 1989's communion. Andrew, before we get to that, how's everything going? It's been about a month now of lockdown. Mm -hmm. So are you are you going crazy yet? Oh, a little bit. You got to look at the bright side. You know, I have become uh, king of the Morlocks while all this is going on, which was a hard fought battle. But I think once they realized that I just wanted to get them health care, everything was uh, everything. It was a smooth transition. That's you know? all you got to uh, do to gain loyalty. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's, it's been going. I've just been trying to. Write as much as possible. I just finished, uh, I did a spec script for one of my favorite TV shows, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, um, which has, uh, which uh, I'll give a plug to them, I guess, but that season, like as of our recording this, their new season starts up like tomorrow night. So excited for that. Always good to have like a nice little spec script in your back pocket. Um, Something short for people to read. All you screen or like, um, it's soon to be screenwriters out there. <laughs> Apparently that's like the thing now is to have like a nice half hour sitcom spec script because then it's not a lot for people to read. Most of the scripts that I have are between 90 and like 125 pages. So yeah. hey, man, <laughs> always have something in the back pocket. You might go in with a mm-hmm. play and they may, might be like, hey, we don't want that. But do you have like, you know, a 30 minute television script or whatever and you got to be ready to just throw it on the table exactly exactly and always go to people for feedback i had sent it out to like the i i felt good about this first draft of this to begin with but then i sent it out for feedback and then i like i honed it down so you know gave it a nice little cleanup and now like i have something that i can show to people that i'm i'm pretty proud of and if people out there feel like reading any of my stuff. I actually think you can read some of the screenplays that I've submitted for things on a website called Coverfly. A lot of my stuff is listed as discoverable. So if you look up Andrew Sanford, you can see things 
um, I've submitted, including a horror comedy that's like just got me into the semifinals for something. I forgot to tell you about that. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's always I've just been trying to keep writing um, to keep myself from going crazy. I wonder at the end of this, I shouldn't say the end, this this COVID-19 thing is going to be our new mm-hmm. normal. Um, right. Absolutely. Once this first wave of it passes uh, and we're allowed to go back into society again, mm-hmm. uh, how many new books and screenplays and pitches are going to be out there? We might see a whole new creative renaissance. I mean, look at some of the, our greatest artists who right. came up with their masterpieces during the Spanish flu or um, the mm-hmm. Black Plague. Like, it's it's crazy mm-hmm. to think that such amazing stuff can come out of something so horrible. But, hey, that's life. Yeah. You even have uh, just recently, Kevin Smith talking about how he wrote COVID-19 into his new draft of the Mallrats sequel. So, you know, <laughs> the, the greatest art. <laughs> I do wonder what the first, uh, you know, mainstream representation of this entire thing is going to be, whether a movie or a, a documentary. Nothing. Yeah. Documentary would be fine. I would like some nice, like, you know. Or, or our ver- like Chernobyl for like for our version of this mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but I I want uh, movies and TV shows and books that take place almost exclusively outside. Yeah. It's just people being able to go outside, hugging one another, <laughs> uh, really, <laughs> just <laughs> going to the grocery store without having to wear a mask. Uh, that, that's that's what I want to see. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you, man. Well, hey, we need we need things to distract us now, and that definitely sure. happened with communion. So let's um let's sort of paint the picture here, Ooh, um, buddy. We've got 1989 drama horror film based on the book of the same name mm-hmm. by Whitley Strieber, who most of my audience either know personally or know of him. Um, this was could my you fill me in a smidge? Because I will say I did like a little research, but I assumed that you would know this guy better than I do. So who is Whitley Strieber? So he is a he's mostly known for being a horror novelist. I mean, he's written mm-hmm. some really, you know, big horror novels that were turned into movies the hunger where like this dude's trapped in a love triangle with a vampire and um now that is a movie yeah right that's a movie right there but um well it is i think if i remember correctly there's one with david it's got david David bowie Bowie. yeah so i mean Mm -hmm. dude he's no slouch i mean this guy right pretty much every novel that whitley streber was coming out with were, were being made into movies even as recently as um the day after tomorrow that big disaster movie based on his book, The Day After Tomorrow. Whoa, that's yeah. wild. Yeah, so I mean, he he has, he's got some street cred for sure, but this <clears> is <throat> what's interesting is in, um, when he wrote this book, Communion, it was supposedly a true story. So you have this guy writing these fantasy dark worlds of werewolves and vampires and then boom (laughs) he comes out with this novel saying here's my new book it's a true story so you're like what the hell is this and i'm not kidding you man communion the book it took the world by storm it became a new york times bestseller within like weeks of its publication really the book i'm looking at right now the cover is the most iconic 
image of an alien uh, to date. And um, mm-hmm. it just became such a staple in the UFO lore and history. So um, when... But not until 19... When did, the, when did the book come out? Was that all... Was it close to 1989? Let me check. Was it in the 80s, 70s? Yeah, let me check. I'm going to say 80s. Um, what do we got? 1987. So, I mean, the wow, movie okay, wasn't so that far after, to be honest. So, yeah. I wonder why they couldn't get a better production company to make this movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> Not to, like, take shots. At- <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, oh, man. That's so crazy to me. It also seemed like it had such a small budget, even from things that I've read. I, I, and it only it only made, like like... Two million dollars, which isn't like anything to slouch at in 1989, but it's like also not. Like 1989 was a huge year for movies too, right. as well, though. So it's that's 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 I think, a tough. Ah, huh. yeah. So okay, so let's give let's give some um some of the technical stuff here. Communion was written the screenplay by Whitley Strieber, same guy who wrote cool. the book, uh, directed by Philippe Mora. Um, the cast included mm-hmm. Christopher Walken, Lindsay Krauss, Francis Sternhagen, and Andreas Katsoulis. It's quite a cast. I mean, they, this it's is a true. talented cast, man. And uh, um, Andreas Katsoulis uh, is one of my fa- – he plays the one-armed man in the film adaptation of The Fugitive. Yes. Starring yeah. Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, and he's great in that movie too. He's great in this one. It's um, – yeah, yeah, you're right. No, like no slouches in here. Yeah, Francis was like a huge Broadway actor at the time. She played the um the doctor mm-hmm. in this movie, the hypnotherapist, which we'll get to. But um, mm-hmm. so oh yeah, Andrew, do you have the official synopsis for us? I sure do. Based on what author Whitley Strieber described as true accounts, Communion tells the tale of a writer who encounters aliens while on a working vacation in a remote cabin. Boom. Very simple. Um, But Mm. the movie, not so much simple. Um, So I guess we'll kind of just dive right into it. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, which is one of my favorite things to see in a horror movie, which is a little kid acting like a little kid. (laughs) Just walking around. Oh, with that fun, like, dressed like an, uh, a 1950s cab driver. What was uh, up with that? <laughs> I, you say acting like a little kid, but um, Whitley Strieber's son in this movie, his name is, what's the kid's name? Alex? No, no, that was the friend. Uh, I think it's Andrew, isn't it? It's Andrew. Nope, you're right. Uh, he's, dude, uh. he looks like a 40-year-old. <laughs> he's making such like weird faces like they clearly I, I i i listen and nobody to get a child actor who can stand still for more than five minutes is amazing to get one who's actually a good actor is a miracle so i'm always surprised when that happens oh yeah this instance this movie i feel like they really had a tough time <laughs> yeah i i, I... I think the direction of this movie is going to come up a lot, but um, let's let's paint the mm-hmm. picture. Our first opening images in this movie is the Manhattan skyline with the Twin mm-hmm. Towers, which was, yeah. you know, anytime you see those now in a movie, you're like, wow, like this is really putting us back in a certain time. Um, yeah, and they were such an integral part of the city skyline and the city itself. Like it really is something where you just realize how ingrained in the city it was um, mm-hmm. and like not to go off on too much of a tangent, why they were such a target. Yeah. Like why it was something that like it, it really they they had no 
choice but to kind of represent what people think when they see New York City or what they see when they think of New York City because they're just there and they're glorious. And mm-hmm. it's just it's true. It's always a little bit like, oh, yeah, like I forgot it was shame yeah, and yeah. a tragedy and, you know, just awful. But. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, well, OK, so open on the skyline and then we get the smooth guitars of none other than Eric Clapton. Did you know he did the the music for this? I did only because at first I was just like, huh, why does this sound so much like lethal weapon? And then I was like, Oh, cause it's the same guy who did the music for lethal weapon. <laughs> like that's just that kind of like it's <laughs> spot on, spot on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, no, I, that was my first thought. Like the first thing I looked up about this movie, um, it's just so great. And it, it does, if this movie is anything, it is a time capsule for 1989. We're in that weird transition from the eighties into the nineties. Shoulder pads are big, but they're not like all big because people are starting to get over that slightly. Um, New York is still kind of gross. Like it's right before it was starting to get cleaned up. It it is. It's and the music is is that time period in a nutshell. And I believe Lethal Weapon came out like the year before. I want to say the first Lethal Weapon is like eighty eight. So to get it might it's either like eighty eight or eighty seven. It might be eighty seven actually because I think Richard Donner did that movie instead of doing Lost Boys. No big deal. I know that. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, so to get Eric Clapton to do the music for this movie is a pretty big get. Yeah. Like, Same with I, uh, Christopher of, Walken. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's honestly a lot of things that are uh, I, like I didn't know how big the book was. And it makes a lot of things make a little bit more sense and make other things make less sense. Like, again, (laughs) why they were getting why they got the director of the Howling 2 and Howling 3. But apparently that dude was just like working during the 80s. So they might have just been like, listen, we just need a director. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder. And I know that Streber was good friends with the director. I don't know if this was Mm -hmm. prior to the film. Uh I could see the relationship being a little torn apart after the film, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll get to right. that. But um, yeah, or not, and you know what, or not, because again, it's like if there was there's something about how mundane this movie is that made it feel more like a true story to me. Does oh, that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Like, it was so pared down, nothing was, like, over-dramatized. Like, don't get me wrong, there are some things. Um, and apparently, from what I read, Streber had a problem with how um, crazy Christopher Walken was being at a certain point. You you are spot on. Whitley Streber did not care for Walken's performance. And he told him, he went up to him in the middle of, a, like, a cut scene. And he said, Ooh. hey, man... You're you're playing me a little over the top, and honestly, it makes me come off a little crazy. And Watkins' reply to him was, "Well, if the shoe fits." <laughs> How perfect is that? So you do have to wonder what did what did Walken truly think about this role he was playing and the story and the right. fact that it was supposedly true. I do wonder that, right. but um. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, especially on a film set, when you're doing something that is uh, that some people interpret as true events and some people, I'm sure, question vehemently, you have to think like, well, what was that film set like? Was like, you know, 
did the cinematographer think that this was real while the key grip did not or yeah. the like you know did the director even believe Whitley Strieber did people even though apparently like oh, that's and this is one thing that I will say uh, I, I remember reading something where I believe it was the director. I think him and Whitley Strieber are friends because years prior when Whitley Strieber had this happen to him, he said to the director, like explained what happened to the director. And the director just said, yeah, you know, when you something along the lines of when you want to make a movie out of this, come call me. <laughs> well, like that was it. He wasn't interested in the reality of it, it seems, at least. And again, I don't want to speak for the man. Um, and as I said in the last review that we had, making a good movie is is an incredible feat in and of itself. So to have to do that while towing the line of something that is inherently fantastical um, but is supposed to be true has got to be tough. It's got to be tough. And I mean – there's a lot going on with this one, but um, yeah. let's let's. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll rein it back into um, the plot. Sure. Uh, we mm-hmm. we see this to me at least a very loving family. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. Whitley Strieber's relationship with his wife Anne, um, as portrayed by these actors, it was very compassionate. It was very endearing. Yeah, and I loved seeing. I, that. I, absolutely, I think that helped ground the movie. Is that it became about this family's relationship um, pretty quickly. One note I do have, and I think you'll agree with me here, we're both writers. Writers are the worst. Um, and <laughs> nothing is more evident as that as when he's, oh, I forget what you say it at the beginning, but he's just like waxing poetic about mm-hmm. what he was working on. And I was just like, blah. My <laughs> God, she's got to deal with this all the time. There were wolves in the closet, wolves in the basement, wolves all over the place. They work in advertising, they sell junk food and beer. They eat gigantic hamburgers and they drink cold beers with the baseball games on the TV and the bags of the potato chips with them big enough to feed a horse. They have a lot of fun. Okay, so this is I have an exact <laughs> note on this because I want your opinion, Andrew. We get uh, these um these montages of Whitley Strieber trying to write. And it's interesting, you know, he's listening to music, he mm-hmm. has uh, a television monitor on himself staring at himself. And this is where I mm-hmm. you really begin to see Christopher Walken and his acting process rather than Whitley Strieber in his writing process, I think. Um, Although I guess they could be interchangeable. They're both artists. So I do wonder, like, how much of this is how Whitley Strieber actually did his process and how much of it is is Christopher Walken just doing what he does best. Get up! I'm cooking. I'm cooking. I'm on a roll. What's the matter with you? Um, or or even the director, you know, because yeah. it's nothing is harder to make look interesting than someone sitting at a computer writing. Yeah. Like it's just it's tough. It's hard to make that something that you want to look at visually, especially when it's got to be such a driving point of who your character is. And I wouldn't. You know, I, I I would not pretend to understand anybody else's process or like go by anybody else's process. But if you wanted to film me writing, it would be the most boring thing that you could possibly catch on film, especially now. <laughs> now, like because I'm trying to just switch things up most of the time and like uh, uh, give my poor wife like a uh, uh, time like 
not having to sit there with me just like hunched over on my iPad, which is where I do most of my writing. I'm in my room or in our room, just like on the bed, just with it in my chest, just clacking away. It's yeah. incredibly boring. It is nowhere near as much as like him standing up and dancing the music and like tapping on the notebook and like it, like you said, filming himself, which I really thought was going to come back a lot more later and didn't mm. um, like all this stuff where I'm just like, this seems like a very involved process. And hey, if that's how Whitley Strieber writes, he's got more New York Times bestsellers than I do. So <laughs> who cares? Uh, <laughs> and that's great. But mm. I would be very surprised if that wasn't a choice either by Christopher Walken or by the director to make those scenes interesting. Right. And you know what? I mean, if you hear Whitley Strieber in, in person, he's, you know, he's poetic, he's eloquent, but at the same time, he's a little drab and monotone. So, like, to bring out that life in a character um, that you're portraying, like, yeah, you got to bring a little bit of yourself to that. And I think that's what Christopher sure. Walken does really good and maybe not so really good in this film, but... Um, I, I do agree with you. Mm -hmm. I think to understand a writer's process, uh, everyone's a little different. And one of the lines that really stuck out to me, and I think what's important about this scene of how does a writer write, is that he doesn't know how to write at this point. He's doing everything he's always done to try to inspire and, and get motivated, but nothing's coming to him. Mm -hmm. So this is a severe right. yeah. writer's block for this guy. He has no idea what comes next, what he's writing, and he even tells his wife, um, you know, how did today go? And he said, I lost a day. And that's so tr I feel like I have said that so many times. Like, I feel sure. like I just lost an entire day of my life. I'll never get back. And I didn't do a fucking thing with it so you you understand that frustration um of a writer who is at that point in his career where the pressure's on like how do you keep topping yourself when you've hit the top so many times in your genre so yeah what is yeah, no, doing you know yeah and we see that he even in this we see that he is you know very successful like he has they live in an amazing apartment on the upper west side that's like, what i was thinking too yep yeah, like even in 1989, like that's that's nothing to sneeze at, to say the least. Yeah, for anyone um, out there, um, somebody outside my apartment, and they're either dealing drugs or toilet paper, and I can't tell which. Oh, Sorry. they're they're um, one in the same. Going to close. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. It, it is. It's something to behold to see somebody try to be so eccentric and show the perils of like being a writer. Um. At the same time, it is. It's very interesting. And so you're saying Whitley Strieber is more of like a reserved human being. I assume you've seen interviews and stuff with him before. Oh, yeah. I mean, I met him face to face several times. I, oh, um, nice. Yeah, he's cool. he's a really interesting guy. And we'll get to that. I think after mm -hmm. Communion came out um, and everything he did after that is um, it's a fascinating journey, which we'll get to, I think, um, towards the end. But uh, sure, okay. Cool. So we have we have Whitley. He has no idea what's coming next in terms of his creative process. So what do you do? You leave. You go somewhere else, and that's what he and his right. family do. Um, oh, I forgot a really another really um, colorful moment. So he's so caught up in his process that he burns dinner, and the FDNY shows up to. <laughs> And this is this is what I thought was interesting. The, the the guy comes in, like the fire chief or whatever. He's like, hey, man, 
You've been warned. Like how many how many You're wheels right. does Whitley Strieber burn enough where the FDU NY shows up and says, This is like the eighth time you've done this, dude. I do wonder. Yeah, yeah. and I, I love that the they have the same response to him burning dinner that they have to him getting written a two hundred dollar ticket. <laughs> Which is a very yuppie, like, oh man, right. like they're so they're all like laughing it off. It was it's such a it was such a strange thing to have happen. But again, it it comes into that weird thing of like you're saying, like, did this happen to this dude a lot? Like, did he burn dinner several times? And <laughs> to the point where the fire department got called, right? Why did the fire department get called? Like my fire, my um, smoke alarm goes off if like. Uh, um, uh, sometimes if the oven gets like slightly too hot, like yep. the fire department never gets called on me. Um, so it's like one of the, like, you know, that, that's a whole other can of worms, but I did think that was funny. You're right to see that's just like, Oh, that's like, that's how they show that. That's the, how distracted he was. Yeah. Yeah. That he yeah. left a, a, a chicken in, in the oven for too long or a yeah. turkey or whatever. I think it was a duck, but, um, we're splitting a duck. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> All right. So, he almost burns the apartment down. It's time to, like, mm-hmm. you know, just calm down. And they go to their, their I guess, vacation home, this cabin in mm-hmm. upstate New York. Right. And I think Whitley is looking at this opportunity, like, I'm going to bring some friends out there. We're just going to have a good time and let whatever happens happen. And I don't think what he expects mm-hmm. to happen happens. Um, but, yeah, let's get to... All right, the the cabin scene, the first one. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's nighttime, everyone goes to bed, you know, they had a nice dinner and everything, and suddenly the cabin is enveloped in some sort of blinding white light, the alarm system disables, just like in Dark Skies, the last movie we, we watched, sure. which I yep. thought was yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Whitley wakes up abruptly in one of the creepiest scenes in a movie, in my opinion. And he looks in the doorway, and he sees this teardrop-shaped-faced thing with big black mm-hmm. orbital eyes. And it peeks in, and then it scampers away. Um, yes. What did you think of this initial appearance of, quote-unquote, the alien, Andrew? I, I I appreciated how it kind of, like, built up tension-wise, but also how, like, very sudden it was. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect it to happen kind of that quickly. I will say, this brings me to one of my first questions, and I see that it's this way on the cover of the book as well. I have heard of Greys, especially in conversations with you, and even just talking about the last uh, movie that we talked about. I have never heard of them being flesh-colored before. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that a thing? This is interesting. It's not really a portrayal we're used to seeing. I mean, the image you see on the movie, in the book, um, this is exactly what he described to the artist who made the drawing. So, I mean, we're talking like Mm -hmm. a tan, beige-colored alien. Yeah, this is a unique portrayal, I think. I think a lot of people expected to see these aliens and they'd be like... The little greys, as we've come to know them, but no, this is right. not how he described it. So then, I guess my next question would be: Were there things that looked like, aside from the color of it, were there things that looked like that mentioned in UFO sightings before, or was this the first time that we get what has kind of commonly been come to know 
or we've commonly come to know as what aliens look like in kind of like pop culture and things like that. So there had been reports of these sort of greys prior to this event, but this is the one mm-hmm. that really, really shaped the UFO abduction uh, narrative. Interesting. So, I mean, okay. there have been others who said they saw, you know, big-headed aliens with, like, big, you know, almost insect-like eyes and whatnot. But this mm-hmm. was the first time where it really came into the mainstream. And I think a lot of that had to do with the book becoming a bestseller. I mean, after sure. this book came out and people saw that image on the front cover, like thousands and thousands of reports started to come in from all over the world of people saying, I saw the same thing. That book cover terrified me because I know exactly what he's talking about. Now, is it chicken and egg? Like, which came first? Um, Were these people influenced by the book and the cover? I can't tell you. Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah, we we get this first glimpse of an alien and then it scampers away in the bedroom. And then we cut to his son in his room. And the friends in the other room, and they all see this light, like, enveloping the home. So, I mean, this isn't Mm -hmm. just Whitley Strieber hallucinating and, like, Mm -hmm. something is going on. And, um... Right. You know, which is interesting. You know, usually these these things, we they only happen to the person having the experience. But we're kind of getting a, um, an objective experience here. Like, something is going on. And I thought that was fun, too, and you do kind of – it creates this kind of joint narrative that they don't really um, – I mean, it takes the wife having to go through a therapy session later on to even remember what happened. Yeah. Um, and it also makes the true story aspect of things yeah, a little bit more engrossing because then I started to wonder, well, have people ever – I'm sure Whitley Strieber has had interviews – have those other people been interviewed before or talk about this? Like his friends are those like characters that were created for the movie or are those like, did he have two friends that he went into the cabin with that are now kind of forever part of his narrative from yeah. when he was visited by aliens? I mean, I specifically remember, I haven't read the book in a really long time. So full disclosure, like mm-hmm. I really wanted to come into this review being like, I'm going to compare it to the book, but I can't. I first of all, I'd never seen the movie before. The first time I saw it was watching oh, fun. for this review. Um, but I do distinctly remember him recalling the friends being there during this initial experience. Now, whether or not they've gone on record in their own words, I can't tell you. I do find it interesting, though, that again, they're okay. So okay, the light happens. Whitley sees this weird creature, mm-hmm. and then boom, the next morning. Um, you know, well, before that, he goes into the son's room because the son's screaming and he um, calms right. the son down. Um, they have this weird, like, insensitive moment of, like, Native American chants to one another, which I didn't really understand. <laughs> and um, everyone goes back. <laughs> it was 1989. It was 1989. Exactly. Um, All you can do, if you watch any movie before the year, like, 2010, even, you can just hope that they're going to be sensitive. Um, (laughs) That's really the most you can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's so true. All right. So the next morning, um, this was interesting. The friends, they... They get out of there. They're like, something weird happened. I We can't explain it, but we don't want to be here. We're uncomfortable. Whitley's like, no, what are you talking about? Like, it was the moon. It was this. What? Nothing happened. Um, but it gets to the point where he they force him to bring them home, which was really 
uncomfortable, you know? Um, mm-hmm. he, yeah, he seems pissed. He's pissed. Which I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah, I would be too if, like, I invited my friends uh-huh. here, I paid for everything, they're in my home, and then they're saying, we want to go back to the city, bring us back. Like, it, it's right. an awkward position to be in. Because Whitley doesn't remember any of this stuff happening the night prior, um, and flat out denies it, or doesn't remember it, which we'll get to. So, yeah, this is where I think things sort of start to unravel. Um, they go back to New York, and almost immediately, all this weird shit starts to happen. We go to a, a night of Halloween, where Whitley and his family, they go to a costume party, and Whitley's dressed as a, I don't know, a guy in a suit with an elephant trunk, which was pretty interesting. <laughs> I don't know if that was a Christopher well, Walken like- choice or what. Well, I think that was trying to show, like, that to me felt like, oh, this isn't a guy that, like, you know, makes things up or takes things lightly or lightly. They have to, like, force him to wear a Halloween costume. Mm -hmm. And the most that he'll wear is he's like, look, I'll put on this trunk. And they're just like, well, you have to at least wear something gray with it because elephants are gray. Like, so that to me felt like a moment to be like, this is a guy that takes things very seriously. He's not going to just like make up wild and crazy things. Right. So if somebody that's like very serious and takes himself very seriously uh, presents this kind of story, they can't be making it up like that. That felt to me as kind of a way to be like, look, this guy's not crazy. He won't even wear a Halloween costume. (laughs) That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it is showing the the nature of, yeah, he's. You know, he writes these fantastical stories of, like, horror and dread and and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like, he's just – he's an eccentric guy. Um, he's an artistic right. guy. But he's not crazy. So I, I think that's right. a really good point. But, okay, so in terms of being crazy, this is the first moment where we – we get this this scene where he sees a pumpkin in the hallway and he goes up to it with his son. A woman pops out and um, it's this huge, giant praying mantis. And yeah. he freaks the fuck out. And mm-hmm. then it cuts to this woman taking her mask off and being like, what? Like, what? I was just like, it's Halloween. <laughs> so, but I mean, he's pissed and he's like traumatized oh, yeah. by this. So this is kind of the first moment yeah. where we're like, whoa what what's going on here yeah no and it, and it was i loved that effect um I, a lot of the monsters and stuff in this movie i think look fantastic because they're all done uh practically mm-hmm. for the most part like because there wasn't you didn't really have a choice at the time but it, it does kind of show like oh like i i i appreciated that aspect of things because i was like oh this is it's a trauma for him. It's like a PTSD type situation. Mm-hmm. But in that same event, in that same vein, it, 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 it both makes things seem more credible and less credible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it, 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 because it's something that's like, oh, do you have a trauma from being visited by aliens or do you just have a trauma and this is how it's manifesting itself. Mm. It, it comes up even more later when you, you find out that he you, he's going to see a therapist that specializes in rape victims. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was a crucial moment, I think, in terms of raising the stakes of what's going mm-hmm. on. Like we can we can be like, oh, interesting, alien abduction, like kidnapped, experimented on. But then you get to holy shit, like. 
these phys- physicians and doctors, they're saying, we think you should talk to someone who works with rape victims. Like, that's a huge, yeah. huge step. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know quite what to make of that. I'm talking about it, and I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, talking about this. Uh, I saw something. They saw something. There was a, a lot of light. So after this initial thing, he he starts to become very paranoid. <laughs> and he's waking up in the mm-hmm. night saying that something's in the room. And also his writer's block is still there. He can't concentrate. And all the while, um, the son is also having weird memories and images. Right. And the tensions really start to rise because the wife is like, what is going on with my family? Like, did yeah. something happen or is he hallucinating and it's influencing our, our young son? Like, what the fuck is going on? And mm-hmm. clearly something's wrong. Right. Yeah. And I, I, and I love, uh, we see like a time jump here too, which I thought was interesting because it goes from like Halloween to Christmas um, it, almost immediately. But I did think it was kind of interesting that he, the son's, like where his feels like it's more in his head. The son is just like, I don't want to go near that spaceship thing because there's like a playground the kids are playing in and it's got something that kind of looks like a spaceship that's like a jungle gym they're playing on. And he's like, I don't like that spaceship. And I was like, huh? Like it is, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and again, it's something where it's just like, it's like, you know, a kid, it would make sense for a kid to be like afraid of spaceships. Um, depending on what he's watching and intaking, not that it looks like these people are like watching a lot of TV from what we're seeing or what have you, but it, it, it was it was a cool um, juxtaposition uh, to see how each of them are having their trauma um, manifest itself, which is that one is having actual visions and one is seeing things and things that are already kind of there, which isn't like you know, which isn't unreasonable. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, okay. So, th- this is where the movie starts to... We really hit a U-turn, I think. Now, initial experience, <laughs> fine. Like, maybe something happened. Uh, interesting. They go back to the cabin in the woods, like you said, for Christmas, hoping things will get better. Um, but this mm-hmm. is where shit really goes off the rails, for me at least, man. So Yes. What do you make of this? Um I, yeah, the the Christmas cabin incident, I guess we can put it. Um, right. Yeah, I, I thought it was it, – it does it does start to call things into question um, for a couple of reasons. A, I don't – again, I am more of a, a um, an observer to a lot of um, the lore the, of uh, surrounding UFOs, that I, most of which I've gotten through you and this podcast. <laughs> um, I – I, I, so it strikes me as odd that somebody would have an experience with aliens and then go back to that area where they had had their first experience and then they have an even more intense experience. Yeah. Um, that to me sounds like it would come from somebody who's lying. <laughs> it's like no the first time i had this very surreal incident where it was like touched by or i was like touched by light i thought i saw something this light engulfed the house that's like okay that's a weird phenomenon and he's like yeah and then i went back to the cabin and i got 
pulled up in their ship and they jabbed something into my head to like they gave me a shot of something mm-hmm. while I was up there. Um, and I saw not only did I see a gray this time, the flesh colored gray, I also saw um, little monsters that are like dressed like men that look like the like. Oh man, it's hard to even think of something to compare them to. Not I Jawas. Know. You don't see Jawas faces. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that was another thing where it's just like it's like okay, this is cool looking, but when you tell me that this is what this guy actually experienced, now I'm just like, well, hold up. Like so you are this is something that happened to you that you were comfortable enough to put to screen and then we see a physical representation of what you had happened to you. And you're like, yeah, that's it. That movie monster that this person was able to develop as cool looking as it is. And as creepy as it is, is exactly what I had to deal with. That's crazy. Okay. Okay. This is, this is interesting that you say that because we get these little small blue aliens. Like you mentioned, they're like in these cloaks. Um, they look very impish and, uh, they look so original that I'm like, who who can really make this shit up in their head? This is... Okay, I'm going to... Full disclosure. I interviewed a woman about having been abducted by aliens when she was a kid. And mm-hmm. she described these beings as almost identical to these little blue creatures in this movie. And of course, mm-hmm. Andrew, of course my first question is, well... Had you read the book or had you seen the movie? And she said, right. no, no, I hadn't. I hadn't. I had a boyfriend who threw the movie on one night. In the minute that little blue creature showed up in the movie, I literally leapt behind the couch and started crying. And I made him turn the movie off. And I've never seen it again since. So, huh. I mean, again, had she subconsciously seen that image before in the movie or... Had she read the book and she, um, not, I don't want to say lied to me. I, I believe something no. firmly happened to this woman. She's one of the most trustworthy people I've come across in this field. Um, but it, I did find it interesting that she said she saw these same creatures and never had seen this movie or, uh, read the book. So I don't know. I don't know. What yeah. Yeah. Find. Cause then it's and like, don't get me wrong. There are incredible artists that exist in this world there are people whose job it is um the job is to recreate um a uh possible criminal based on someone's description and those people in those positions are able to do incredible things and amazing recreations based solely off somebody's um description which is something i can't even fathom to have somebody describe to you a human face and you to be able to recreate it so it's even a little bit more understandable that somebody could describe something more fantastical than that and you would be able to recreate that but when you but when i hear that somebody an author especially of a novelist and again i know that's one of the toughest parts about this is this guy makes fiction for a living Mm -hmm. but this guy describes these monsters does not draw them himself to my knowledge correct you said somebody else drew the cover of the book yeah yeah do um you know literally it was like a sketch artist situation where he sat down right and described it yeah so he, he describes that then he describes these other little blue men 
um, and robes and stuff. And then that process is even taken from a drawing and recreated by a studio's special effects department or costume department or what have you, um, or effects department. And to have that um, be something that somebody says is exactly what they had the same um, experience with is a tough pill to swallow for me personally. Yeah, I totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do. And I don't want to disparage this woman either, because if this was something that was so traumatic that it made her shut off the movie and caused and drove her to tears, like that's awful. Um, but it's just the, the, the idea, like we live in a world where things are so often not like coincidences. But like that or that specific, but who knows, you know, that's like, that's, that's, that's just wild. That's like, um, uh, Cthulhu type stuff where I don't know if you've ever read the call of Cthulhu, um, not to give any credit to racist HP Lovecraft. Yeah, I said it. Um, but he, he, the whole point of call of Cthulhu is this call goes out one night where, and this is a time before social media or movies or anything like that. Um, or well-made movies anyway. Um, advanced movies. I don't want to say not well-made. Anyway, uh, people are, you have this phenomenon where people throughout the world who have never met um, are drawing and and sculpting um, a, this monster exactly the same, hmm. um, which is like a, a solid work of fiction. Like there's H.P. Lovecraft inspired a lot of writers, a whole generation of writers and creators and continues to um inspire people to this day so it's always that kind of stuff that makes me go like huh like it's just that's that's wild to me that's the most wild thing that i've heard about this movie is that is somebody had an experience that they considered to be so similar that this movie that aspect of this movie freaked them out that's crazy to me maybe that's what it is it's not even just that it's unbelievable it's just that's it's wild. I, I agree with you. And again, it, it goes back to the cover of the book. So many people said they cannot pick up that book to this day or look at it because it's so strikingly similar to what they saw. So mm-hmm. again, I don't yeah. want to ever strip anyone, a witness or an experiencer of their no. experience. I myself struggle with it greatly, Andrew. I mean, you know, on on the record and right. off the record, I'm a very skeptical person of all of this UFO stuff myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's those rare cases where I have no other choice but to be like, huh, something happened to you. I can't say it was an alien. I can't say it was an interdimensional creature or, you know, a spirit or this, but I can firmly say I'm seeing how it's affecting you and uh, something you believe this happened to you. And it's it's right. affecting you in ways that I can not even begin to describe. It and and that me. is it scares me that we we can't yeah. just shove this in a box of they're making it up or it's um regressed nah. physical abuse as a child and this is the way you painted it to be as an alien abduction to deal with it. Like that's the biggest mm-hmm. um way that skeptics will come at these alien abductees is you clearly mm-hmm. were abused as a child, and this is the way you, uh, you know, put the memory down and painted it into something different. Yeah. Sure, that could be said for and some it, people, of course, but end of the day, not all of them. Thousands of people are describing right. these things who are sane, credible, um, straightforward, were never abused in their lives. So what is that? What is that? I don't know. Right, right. 
Hey y'all, Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started this Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, on with the show. And it's it's one of those things, too, where it's it was such a time where it would be hard to even recreate something like that. It was a time when um, books <laughs> um, were were a main source of entertainment for people. Mm-hmm. Bookstores were thriving. Something like this could come out and, and get traction in all corners of the world easily. Um, and then you also have something where it wasn't like, oh. I'm going to go to the bookstore and specifically go to the section that's about UFO fiction, not even just fiction, but like UFO fiction or nonfiction. Sorry. Um, And find this specifically this more than likely, especially if it was a New York Times bestseller, just came out and had its own section in the bookstore (laughs) or had its own display in the bookstore. And that's just what people saw. And it it would also be crazy to think that. Like there's a movie in and of itself is somebody walking into a bookstore and seeing something that haunt has haunted their dreams for years that they very truly believe that they experience on a shelf like in multiple copies of it, just staring them right back in the face mm-hmm. like that in and of itself is an experience where it's hard to deny someone the feeling that they have from something like that. Yeah, because we can't we weren't in the room and we weren't we weren't even there, even not even just in the room to when they were when they were visited. 
I would have loved to be in the room when this woman saw this movie for the first time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to be the only person that can really vouch for her uh, being so frightened by this that she had to turn it off is the boyfriend that was there at the time. Because aside from that, it's hard to even prove that that's true. But if somebody feels that strongly, especially somebody that you claim um, is honest that you've dealt with, and I know you've dealt with a lot of not honest people and people who you like, uh, the, the more you deal with unhonest people, it's easier to figure out who the ones are yeah. that are being honest. Exactly. So I, I, you saying that you think somebody is honest and truthful is honestly worth a lot to me. Um, and yet still it's, it's just, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> I know. It is. And it's hard to, um, you know, take that leap over the wall to be like, okay, yeah, I firmly believe you were abducted by aliens. I t- totally right. get that, man. In my biggest defense always is I was not there when it happened. And you said the exactly. same exact thing. And that's what it comes down to. These experiences are so personal, so subjective. They mm. come with so much baggage and, um, the lens of, and perception that you view it from, mm-hmm. uh, that we can't tell up from down, left from right. And, um, you know, bringing it back to Whitley Strieber, this is a moment where it's so dreamlike and nightmarish that he literally gets a gun and tries to hunt down this little blue alien that, um, mm-hmm. that took him at one point. And we come to find out that he shoots at the alien and then boom comes out of some weird dream state and he almost shot his fucking wife and killed her yo yo is that in the book is that a real thing that almost happened i'm pretty sure that's that part too i was like whoa like it it is that seems like a big thing to make up in uh in terms of yes exactly the screen adaptation now whether or not it actually happened we can't say um however to put something like that, you are a popular novelist who is at maybe the height of your career. Now, you could argue that he was having writer's block at the time, so maybe he was really reaching for a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, and and I say height of his career, but I don't know if like maybe I, I noticed that at least from what I recall, there's nothing in this movie about like publishers breathing down his neck, being like you're going to lose your job if you don't give us this next book, things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing in there that would make it seem like, oh, he had to make this story up or else he wouldn't have anything to push forward. But to do something or to put out something that you are claiming to be true that not only might make you look crazy, but make you look like someone who almost committed manslaughter is is something that you don't do lightly unless you truly believe it. I don't know Whitley Strieber, but I, I you don't say like, hey, guess what? I was so thrown off by this that I almost killed my wife unless you're willing to take whatever heat is going to come with that as well. That was a big turning point for me because I was like, oh, man, we just saw this crazy shit. But then, wow, he shows that he might have like these problems are more than just things that he's seeing. They almost made him murder somebody that he loves. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think this is a turning point for the movie and for Whitley yeah. Strieber as well. I think he now realizes whatever's happening, it's not just a figment of my imagination. And even if it is, it's causing me to almost harm my family. So yeah. I got to, yeah, I have to, um, I got to approach this. And for him, it came in the form of going to, um, 
to get these temporal lobe epilepsy tests, which is really yes. interesting. This is kind of what they think, oh, this could be it. Like during these these bouts of epilepsy, you can have these uh, hallucinations and this and that, and the tests come back negative. So it's clearly not that. Um, it's something else. And I think that's not the answer he was looking for. He wanted it to be that. So when it's not, it's like, fuck, now I still have to go on and struggle with what this is. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I appreciated that they tried to come up with a like, oh, I can't get a scientific answer for this. Like, this isn't something, this isn't a tumor that I have that's making me see things. This is not like something where I could literally be pinpoint it and the, what I liked about that even more is it showed that he was – because I feel like a lot of people, their first step might be therapy, but he went the other direction. Yeah. And it's just like, no, there's probably some scientific reason as to why this is happening to me. Yeah, and um, I respect and, that. Yeah, same. Absolutely. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to go through. And especially, you know, you have the, the wound – behind his ear that even his wife claims to see mm-hmm. and then he you have a doctor being like yeah no there's there's nothing there you're fine yeah two days later and here's which part. i will say any yeah. doctor who's going to be working two days after christmas i call into i i, I, I i'm <laughs> gonna have to call it a question a little bit that's the most questionable <laughs> thing about this movie yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's where i was like now hold on full yeah. stop yeah. Well, I mean, we can't – I guess we can't really talk about Willie Strieber's experiences, Andrew, without um, acknowledging that this was the first case that came forward where someone said that they were basically, um, you know, raped by an alien. They had right. a probe of some sort um, inserted into the rectum and it was extremely painful right. and traumatizing. And for Willie right. Strieber to – to come forward and straight up be like, yo, I got raped by an alien. Like that's, that's a big right. deal. That's not just saying I was yes. taken. I was experimented on. They messed with my head. He's now saying something that could completely ruin his reputation. If it hadn't had been ruined already by trying to murder his wife, apparently. Right. So, I right, mean, right. yeah, we have to talk about that. That's where this trope of yeah, aliens sticking stuff up with people's butts, where this whole thing came from. And again, we can laugh yeah. about it, but at the end of the day, like this is an extremely traumatizing thing. It's painful. Yeah. And it's if painful anything, I I also I appreciate that they didn't, you know, uh, the, when that scene happened, it's not funny. <laughs> like no. there are things that they play for laughs in this movie, but with that, they took it very seriously, even though it is something that is kind of inherently absurd and something that people do make jokes about quite often especially when they're talking about people who have experienced trauma from UFOs or claim to have been abducted and claim to have been probed. That is something that for a long time I feel like has been easy to laugh about. And even almost only recently is something that I feel like people are starting to say like, well, you know, that's not, that's not funny for one of two reasons. A, if it did happen to this person, it's something that's going to be incredibly traumatic and B, if it's something where they were possibly raped and this is how they're dealing with it, then that's also awful, like and not something to laugh at where. But I feel like for a long time, that's something that people have just actively made jokes about. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so, I mean, in the balance, that delicate balance in this movie of what's funny and what's not um, really plays out in these abduction scenes, I think. And, um, yeah. you know, here here's an exact quote from Whitley Strieber in the movie. Quote, these little blue fuckers took me, stuck a needle in my skull, and put a probe in my rectum. I mean, that mm. line alone, it's it carries so much weight in terms of, like, yeah. it's so absurd, I realize that. But they, you know, they literally, they took, they stripped me of everything, my entire being, yes. my, my, yes. my, myself, my control, my, um, ah, oh God, it's just, it's traumatizing. And you don't even know if these aliens yeah. realize what they're doing to these people. When the doctor hypnotized me, I was supposed to recall prowlers or something. But in fact, I recall something else. I sure do. What? Little blue fuckers about that big. And this is a time, too, where it's still like, you know, we're still in an era where, like, you know, men have to be men. Exactly. And you can't, uh, like, uh, most men who are who deal with sexual assault don't report it. Like, yeah. even to this day, like, the percentage is very low for people that will actually come forward about something like that. So for somebody to come forward about something like that during a time when that was much less likely and on such grand a scale is pretty significant. And I do think adds to the, again, the credence of what he's trying to say. Now, I could also argue that if you are somebody who is smart enough to write um, fiction that is um, critically well-received and liked and liked by the general populace, you would know, hey, I got to add in some of these extra details to make me not seem like a crazy person. But it's, you know, that's, that's just where the... The most difficult part about all of this comes from it's hard. It would be hard for me not to say that if this story came from somebody who wasn't a fiction writer, I might believe it a little bit more. Like you could literally present this movie exactly how it is. And he's a doctor and not a novelist. And I'd be like, you know what? There's a lot going on here. There's a lot that could ruin this person's reputation. But when you say it's like also a novelist, you're like, yeah, this probably makes for a pretty good book. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the biggest criticism people yeah. have of this. And I'm sure that's tough for Whitley as a person. If, oh, sure. And I, I stress if any of this actually happened. Um, and yeah. if it didn't, like, wow, man, kudos for creating like this huge social experiment that completely yeah. changed the entire perception of aliens and uh, stuff moving forward and has become a mm -hmm. part of pop culture i mean this image of the gray is just so fucking iconic at this point um but yeah, yeah so okay so the trauma happens he's experimented on and um these aliens are just they're like i don't i don't even know how to describe this these these experiences he's having are so dizzying and like confusing mm -hmm. he he kisses one of the blue aliens at one point then he's in this room mm -hmm. with these little kids and they've got the masks of the aliens and he's you know half naked reading a magazine in like a waiting room it's just so fucking weird and that's what always yes. gets me um about about this story specifically is how weird and uh, imaginative in every sense of the word, it is. Mm -hmm. And whether this was a choice by the director and the designers of what, how to convey these experiences, I don't know. But it is so 
out there that I just I couldn't tell left from right. I just felt so disoriented yeah. when these abduction scenes happened. And and it is also something that is very dreamlike, um, yes. which which kind of takes away from the credence of it. I I myself recently in the last few months um, have been having incredibly vivid dreams, and just this morning had a dream where. I was riding in a limo, got into a limo with my wife to uh, uh, with these two little people that were in costumes. At least I thought they were little people. More on that in a second. Um, And I was in this limo with a guy that I used to work with who was driving the limo on the right side for some reason. Um, And also in the limo was professional wrestler Chris Jericho. And we were talking about the... um, um, AEW that he works for currently and how he thought like there was some event that he was going to where they weren't paying him enough and it turns out they weren't paying him enough because um, the coronavirus is currently striking the nation and then we when we get to where we're going in the limo we take these little people up to this apartment and they're actually monkeys that we are paying to play with in a very Tiger King-esque uh, type situation, except instead of playing with Tiger Cubs, we're playing to, paying to play with monkeys. It's all this weird, surreal combination of things that have happened in my wife, life recently, um, and, and also things that haven't happened recently, that it is hard to look at something in this movie as not being a dream because it plays out so much like a dream. And, you know, dreams very rarely make perfect, coherent sense. They just don't. I think that's what Willie Strieber is struggling with most in this movie is what's the dream, what isn't. And I think this is where I do have to uh, give props to the director and Christopher Walken. Like, we never can really tell. And I think no. they do such a good job in those moments of, um, is this a dream or isn't it? And does that even matter? I mean, we have moments where Whitley Strieber's claiming that he was, images were implanted in his head of the world being destroyed or his son dying. And he doesn't right. know, like, why these images are coming to him, what the aliens are trying to convey. Um, and it's maddening. Again, we can't tell what is and what isn't in this movie. Just And again, that could be things that are brought on by the stress of not being able to do your job that yeah. you usually get paid for. His world is going to end and his son's going to die because he's not going to be able to feed him. Like, you know, there's all kinds of there are so many ways that you can interpret that. But in the same note, I mean, I, I got to say, I really love that this is a very interesting movie to discuss for a lot of these reasons. Oh, my God. But I, I do know. appreciate. Yeah. And I appreciate that they uh, not only show it in a more, more mundane sense, they don't shy away from portraying any of this stuff the way it is being portrayed, that it is being portrayed as dreamlike um, is kind of a testament to Whitley Strieber, who wrote the film. I, uh, who knows what was changed while they were directing it. Ideally, the director was going to be making a lot of those calls on that day. He couldn't get, you know, Whitley Strieber couldn't get Christopher Walken to not, quote unquote, act crazy. But uh, there is just it, 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 it again adds more credence to at least this guy being not that crazy. So in order to not feel crazy, he then starts going to this therapy group an alien abduction support mm-hmm. group um and these are real these are happening across the world right now i guarantee well maybe not right now sure obviously um pre-covid and mm-hmm. post-covid um but 
Right. These things, I've been to them. I spent a weekend in upstate New York myself with a group of abductees and experiencers. And, um, yeah, these people get together and talk about their experiences. And, you know, Whitley just, he, I don't think this is really for him. Um, he doesn't want to be a right. victim like a lot of these people claim to be. And um, it wasn't really for him. But it was interesting to see that, okay, he's he's open to the fact that maybe – I'm not the only one that's experiencing this, and um, this could be real. Other people could be experiencing this. So that was interesting. And the fact that his wife was with him. Um, I think that's another important part of all this, too, is his wife, Anne, and what she's going through, having to deal with her husband just spiraling out of control with all this, uh, almost killing her, um, scaring their son. And what's is he going crazy or not? And um you know, she's a supportive wife in one sense, but at the same time, she's like, I, I'm like ready to take my son and get out of here if this dude keeps yeah. going crazy. So that's got to be yeah. a really yeah, yeah. hard role to play as an actress, but also in real life. Like, what did yeah. Ann Streber think of her husband coming forward with all this? Like, how would it affect them as a couple? And as we see, not very well. My question, um, and, this may or may not have any bearing on what's going on. I want to make that clear. Um, are they still together? They were together until her dying day, which unfortunately was a few years ago. Wow. Ah, ah, awful. Yeah. Awful. And she okay, fully so supported him. She supported him mm-hmm. through thick and thin. Um, he went on to write mm-hmm. another like three books in the communion trilogy, as it were. Um, and we'll get to that. But, really? Uh, yeah. This was not communion. Was not oh. the only book about this. Um, Whoa! And she was with him, man, until um, we lost her. So, yeah. Wow. No, rest of it, that's that's awful. I mean, hopefully, it wasn't anything too terrible. People do pass, but that's yeah, that's very unfortunate. It's nice to I, that I will say that is nice to hear that they were um, together together um, until a point like that because it's got to be. It couldn't. It couldn't have been easy for her. It just couldn't have. Exactly. Like you were saying. Yeah, no, no matter if it was real or not, like that struggle right. had always had to always be in her head every single day of, wow, either this is happening or my husband is a complete fraud. And like, what right. do I do? Do I stay with him? Do I not? Like, where's the moral compass here? But again, neither of us were there and we don't know. So that's what's most frustrating right. about this whole thing, I think, is that like, we we can debate whether this actually happened or not till you know our dying days ourselves but it's frustrating to know we will never know if this truly happened or not sure i mean if if anything that's that's what he's going through as well he wants to know if this is real and um he finally confronts the aliens himself about i want to know what the fuck is going on with me so he goes back to the cabin alone where this all started mm-hmm. supposedly right and um brings his video camera that was cool he brought his video camera with him he's like if i'm gonna mm-hmm. like prove to anyone this is happening i gotta get these fuckers on film so he brings right. his camera he is dressed to the nines again he's got his suit on his fedora this is one of the most amazing images in this movie um he approaches the woods with the bright light and i just love this back shot of him like he's looking like almost like a men in black type guy and he's like about to venture into the belly of the beast to finally confront the aliens Mm -hmm. which um 
was interesting. And I, I love some of the imagery in this movie was just beautiful um, in that sort yes. of 80s gritty way. And I think anytime mm-hmm. we were out at the cabin, like, I just loved it. I, I loved the cinematography and the, the visuals that they brought to this. Um, but yeah, back yeah. to like the plot. All right. So final confrontation with the aliens. Um, well, not so much, I guess. Not so much. But he enters the quote unquote craft. And here's the little blue guys. Here's the tan beige guys. And um, this was one of my favorite moments. The little blue guy sees the camera and he's like, nah, nah, man. No filming. No filming. Yeah. <laughs> I love uh, that moment. It, it was, it was such a weird, like, it was cute, but it was kind of fun. I feel like they were shooting most of the movie and then realized, like, huh. He's got his video camera out quite a bit. We've got to make that comeback, but there's no footage of this. So yeah. let's just have the alien put the kibosh on. <laughs> I kept wondering the whole movie. I was like, I was like, oh, you know, especially when you like when it's somebody who's written like it's something that's written by somebody who knows narrative structure. It's 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 Chekhov's gun. Like you don't introduce something like that unless it is going to serve some sort of purpose. Otherwise, uh, it's point. just. It's not good. Um, it's not good. It's just not good screenwriting. I'm sure there are some people that argue that it is yada yada. Um, <laughs> but they, they, um, that is a principle that is used for a very good reason. You don't introduce something like that unless it's going to come into play. Um, and it just kind of it does in a very in a way that is is funny, but also just very anticlimactic. I was yeah. like, oh, OK. So we had that there the whole time just for him to be told to turn it off later. Like right. it could have not been in there at all. Or have him film the entire experience and then when he goes to play it back, it's like gone, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. See, there you go. Boom, yeah. look at that. Look, we just rewrote communion. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so he's in the craft with the aliens and this is the most like – David Lynch-esque weird scene I've ever seen in a movie. It's so absurd. It's cool. It's unapologetic. It's it's everything. And I love it. I absolutely love it. He starts dancing with the aliens, yeah. communicating with them in like sign language almost. Uh, what did you make yeah. of this final sort of confrontation? I, I, I appreciate it. Again, I, I would love to. This was something where I would want to like read the read the book or at least read that section and that account to see how close it was to what he was dealing with, because it felt so so bonkers, but so specific that I was like, "Huh, like this is not like it, it's not something that anybody would." I don't want to say it's not something that anybody would make up because that's just not true. Um, but it's it's something. That is hard to make up. It's something that is hard to just be like, no, this like, listen, you can't say that this didn't happen to me because just look how batshit crazy it is. Look how unique it is, at least as far as I'm concerned. Are there a lot of um, UFO stories about people dancing with aliens? Uh, Not that I can recall. Uh, There you go. Like. This is <laughs> this is what I love about this though. Um this scene mm-hmm. is um walking or I should say Willie Streber has this line that he says to the alien. He says, quote, I am you, you are me, and we are here. I'm mm-hmm. the dreamer and you are the dream. And that Which alone, is a callback dude, to an earlier scene, too. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's almost like he's in like he it's almost like he's looking into the future earlier on. Yep. 
Exactly. And I love that about this, where he's taking yeah. control of the situation that he did not feel in control of throughout this entire journey. And I, I just, he didn't get the answers that he sought, I think, but he, he confronted this presence that had invaded his life. And he said, look, whether it's a dream or not, I'm a part of this. And that's where I think the whole idea of communion comes in is if you're going to do this to me unwillingly and I'm never going to truly know what you're doing, I'm at least going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to lead every now and again. And I think that's what he's kind of showing is like, if you want to do this, like I have a say in it. And I think that's good. You know, he's taking back control of all the shit that's happened to him, almost ruined his life, his family. And, um, look, you can do this. We can meet up. Maybe you'll slowly give me answers or not. Um, but like, let me be a part of it. And I, I respect that as a character study, at least. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's also interesting in that, again, we have somebody who had an experience, goes back to the place that they were, where they had that experience and has a more intense experience and then goes back again and has an incredibly tense and, or intense and vivid experience, um, which is, it's almost so insane, insane that it's believable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it's, that's crazy to me. Like, that's, but again, he's like actively saying this. Narratively, it works out pretty well. The rule of threes applies to a lot of things, um, not just comedy. I, but to have that like heighten every time he goes back um, is it's just crazy. It's crazy, man. Yeah. It's crazy. I, 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 I like how often do people who claim to be abducted revisit the site where they are abducted? Mm. And if they do, are they abducted again? Right. Rarely, if ever, in, at least in my experience with interviewing these people, it is something they try to uh, regress or forget about. And even if they embrace sure. the experience, they're not going to try to put themselves back in that situation. So, yeah, I mean, again, yeah. if this is all true and Whitley did keep going back to the site where it happened, um, I credit him for really, again, taking control of the situation, facing his demons, as it were. Um, again, you, you're right. It, storytelling wise, it's awesome. Like, yeah, let's, let's, let's figure this out. Um, does he? Uh, I don't know. He wakes back up after this experience in his car and it almost seems like it was all a dream again, but we will never truly know. But I think what's really, really cool after this, this final kind of confrontation is, um, he goes back home. He's at an art museum with his wife and they start really talking about what it could be and, and what it could represent. And, um, and then it dawns on Whitley Strieber oh my god, this is the story I have to write. And boom, we've gone to that meta level where everything that's happened to him is now going to be his new project, and hence writer's block is gone, and he says, Whitley is back! (laughs) (laughs) One of of the most Christopher Walken moments of the movie. Yeah, and a very Forrest Gump-esque kind of moment, too. Just like, oh, I'm gonna, like, hey, who knows? Maybe that conversation happened exactly the way it happened between him and his wife. But it was something where I was like, man, this is pretty, pretty convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. And again, like how this story unfolds, yeah. hey. I truly never know. Um, but OK, so 
he starts writing communion the book and he is on a fucking roll and then boom the alien shows up in his home in new york city and big alien head floating in midair and what does he do he embraces it he it's finally this moment of you are me i am you wherever the story's going um i'm now a part of it and um we get Eric Clapton coming in again with a guitar. Streamer <laughs> and his wife and kid go on the roof um, to look up at the sky, and that's communion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was I like, I like that last shot, especially because you know weren't weren't no drones back then, so you would have had to get somebody in a helicopter and get up there to get that shot, which is uh, you know pretty impressive. Here's I want to get to some conclusions, Andrew. Um, where sure what we think of this thing overall. Um, there's there's one thing mm-hmm. I want to bring up. There's one part during the last alien encounter where Christopher Walken is dancing with the aliens, like we mentioned, and he literally shrugs at what what looks like someone off camera <laughs> or to himself for the aliens. But I think whatever he was shrugging at to me that one moment it's um it encapsulates the feeling in the world of this movie for me overall we can't tell what's real what isn't if walken is acting so well that it's whitley thinking what the fuck am i doing here or walking saying what the fuck am i doing in this movie like i don't know (laughs) but it's just so weird and i loved that about it um it's messy Mm -hmm. like we i think we can both agree this yeah kind of a messy film never quite hits the mark i think it wants to but i don't know what do you think man it just felt so organic to me this movie yeah yes i i would agree with that i i i also think that it's interesting that the movie doesn't try to make it a movie like narratively of course it works out like we said in ways that you would expect a movie to work out but they don't try to it didn't at least Except for the moments that are purposely fantastical, him being on the bus and him being like, even that, that's another one. Like it felt so grounded, like this woman crying and asking if he knows if this bus went to the end of the line and then him imagining her or not imagining her as um, a praying mantis and then seeing everybody as praying mantises um, is very dreamlike. And again, feels um uh, not like it's fantastical without being fantastical, um, without embellishing too much. Uh, it feels like something that this guy might have experienced, and it could be the experience of someone who is not well mentally. Um, so, because of that, because it didn't shy away from a lot of that stuff, there's elements in this movie that really worked for me. Like, the, I don't know why my voice went up there, right there. Um, but it's, 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 um, uh, there's things about it that, I feel like somebody who is trying to put their experience to film without making it seem unbelievable. Um, but then there are elements where it does just feel wholly unbelievable. I will say, unfortunately, a large part of that is Christopher Walken. Um, mm. And it's not even like he's a bad actor, but I, I realized while watching this that I haven't seen a ton of movies with Christopher Walken in it. Um, I, I'm honestly more familiar seeing him and like uh, I watched the episodes of SNL that yeah. he's hosted yeah. uh, hundreds of times. Um, I've seen him more of being like the Christopher Walken that we all know. So it was interesting to see. And, and like I have seen like Deer Hunter um, where he's much more reserved and it was earlier on his career. So it's interesting to see that that like 
oh, it's very Walken-esque kind of um, designation of him doesn't come from nowhere. Like, this is a movie that should be taken kind of seriously, and it doesn't seem like he does take it very seriously, even as an actor. Like, he's just kind of, like, goofing around and, and and doing his, like, doing his shtick yeah. um, that happens to a lot of actors from that generation, especially, where they get older and they become almost caricatures of themselves, like Pacino or... Even to a lesser extent, sometimes like De Niro, but even De Niro can like reel it in. Like there's there's elements of this that just felt like it's like, wow, nobody really had control over him. And that kind of takes credence away from the story that they're trying to tell for me. There are moments where I think Walken is very genuine in his portrayal, especially during the more traumatic parts um, or like the the moments with his wife. I, I think He's, he was able to rein it in and take this thing seriously. But all the other moments, I do wonder, like, how tight of a leash did the director have on this guy? And I don't think any. I think we at, saw at all. a lot of improv in this. Um, in the mm-hmm. script, too. There's, there's scenes in this film where I'm like, they're just letting the actors go to see what comes out. And I appreciate that and I respect that. Yeah. Um, but then yeah. there are times where you're like, guys... The screenplay was written by the writer of the book. This is his story. Like, let's at least explore that. And I think there are moments throughout this film where it was just walking, testing his acting chops, not in the mm. best of ways, because I think he loses sight of the character he's playing. And like you said, he becomes a character of himself. And I think there yeah. was a lot of those in this movie, but it almost made the more serious moments for me um, more powerful. Uh, I have a quote yeah. here from the filmmaker, which I wanted to share too. Um, Cool. He says, uh, the, the director, I should say, says, quote, at the time this movie was made, as filmmakers, we had to fight for the right to make it ambiguous and agnostic in regard to the issue of the alien presence. Various powerful film companies wanted a straight horror film or an outright affirmation of alien existence, which had a, would have undermined the uh, unbiased point of view. The psychological dimensions of Whitley Strieber's extraordinary book, upon which the film is based, continues to fascinate me and the issues raised in the film continue to engage millions. I really appreciate that. I'm not going to lie. That, that does give the movie a lot more heft for me to know that they were going in to try to make it ambiguous. And I think that did shine through in a lot of aspects. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. And it, it almost mirrors the book as well. One of my good buddies, Greg Bishop, he's a UFO researcher. He said this about the book. He said, Whitley's book was a watershed document that made millions aware of the phenomenon of UFO abductions. It defined and codified the experiences for thousands of people, many of whom wrote to Strieber and his late wife, Anne, with their own stories. His influence can truly be described as iconic. And I have to agree with him on that. I mean, this is one of the most iconic books ever written on the topic of alien abduction. I think it always will be. And the damn book cover is what always gets people. So, yeah, man. I mean, no matter what actually happened to Whitley Strieber or not, um, his place in UFO literature and um, the phenomenon overall is solidified. And I think this movie, although I'm looking right now at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 20%. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wow. It didn't do well. It didn't do it did well at do all. Well. It didn't make a lot of money either. I mean, it's to the point where it was it was hard for us to even track this movie down as we discussed. Oh my god! Yeah, like impossible. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's it was, tough. it was difficult. Like, the, it, unfortunately, the easiest way that I saw is to buy the DVD on like a DVD and I have Blu-ray on Amazon, which don't do that to a poor Amazon worker right now. Yeah. Don't make a group of people that are <laughs> only supposed to be shipping out essential things, wrap up your communion DVD <laughs> and send it out to you <laughs> for the love of God, please. Like I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't tell anybody to torrent it either. And I'm not sure how big your UK audience is, but if you get a free week subscription to stars watch, you can watch it in the UK. I believe. I was really excited because I was like, oh, I just sign up for Stars and I get that for like a week and then I can watch it there. I think it's much more easily accessible. I think even Google, like when I looked up like renting it through Google Play, even it was I could only do it through uh, Euros. So you can't I think it's it might have been a bigger hit overseas than it was here, which is interesting because the book was so successful. That honestly paints a lot of this in a whole new light for me. I did not know the book was that successful. One million times more than the movie ever was. Um, Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Which was, you know, probably the opposite of what they wanted. But it has become a cult classic. And um, this was, like I mentioned, my first time seeing it. And, I mean, it stands on its own, I think, aside from the book, as being one of the strangest movies out (laughs) there on this topic. Yeah, dude. And it's... That's more real to the phenomenon and how it plays out with abductees, I think, than anything, um, than any like horror or sci-fi movie truly could. It's confusing, it's murky, and it's we'll probably never know what actually happened. And that's where we find ourselves today, I think, with alien abduction more than ever. So I got to ask you overall, Andrew, out of five alien dance parties, what do you give this movie? I would give it a two and a half. It really, there are elements of it that I really enjoyed, but I will say watching it was a a smidge of a slog for me. There were more down moments in the movie for me than there were up moments. I will say in the last half hour or so, it really starts to pull itself together. Um, but if there was somebody, I and I can't believe I'm even saying this, somebody other than like a Christopher Walken, you know who would have been great in this movie? Like Richard Dreyfuss, oh, like somebody yeah. like that, somebody, somebody who we really want to believe. Um, but because it was Christopher Walken and because of the performance he was giving, that dragged down a lot of this movie for me. Um, yeah, so I would give it, I would give it a two and a half. There are still elements of it. And honestly, that's just in watching it discussing the movie it would get like four out of five alien dance because <laughs> if i i do i i i i can only appreciate how much of a how much we got out of this discussion was much more than i expected it really it really adds to the discussion in a way that i think is undeniable and i'm sure we're not the first ones to talk about this you know what i mean like it's it really brings a lot to the table as far as the UFO lore and the discussion and the things around that just as a movie, I, I I'm not going to disagree with that 20% on rotten tomatoes. Let me put it that way. Hey, that's fair, man. I, I think you're right. I think it's a movie yeah. overall. Um, I'm going to go with a three on this one. No, um, sure. I, there were things about it. I, I loved more than I probably should. And a lot of that had to do with the cinematography and, um, Mm-hmm. that sort of dreamlike feel throughout. I, I was willing to take that journey, but I think you're right. I think Christopher Walken was the biggest thing roadblock in terms of this story being portrayed 
the way it probably should have been. But at that, at the same time, I, I thought his performance was uh, endearing in some sense of the word. Sure. And I thought he brought, I get that. He brought, he brought a, a unique and, um, I don't know, a unique approach to Whitley Strieber as a character. Mm. Um, and maybe that's what this thing needed overall. I don't know. But end of the day, yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with three out of five alien dance parties. Um, but uh, I would uh, suggest uh. if anyone can watch the movie, just watch it. It's fun. It was um, yeah. oh, it's absolutely. interesting to explore, but I would recommend reading the book first and foremost before ever watching this thing to get a more accurate sure. portrayal. And you know what? As far as like getting movies made or is concerned, who knows if actually no? I was gonna say maybe without Christopher Walken, this movie wouldn't have gotten made. It does. It is interesting to me that the studio would have such pushback um, as far as like what they were trying to portraying the novel as straightforward as it seems that they did, especially with the novel being a success. I would love to see like a, a full on uh, investigative report or documentary about this, just the process of getting this movie made. Cause it's interesting to me that something that could be a New York times bestseller that would lend itself to a movie. So it's easily would have as much pushback and then have what seemed to be like a smaller budget than you would expect for something like this. And yet still have somebody like Christopher Walken. And it's a bit of that, that is that aspect of things is very interesting to me. Yeah, I would love just to see knowing it. what I know about getting movies made. Like, right. <laughs> right. You do have to wonder, like, how did all these elements come together? And and I'm yeah. sure that would be a story on its own. But for anyone out there who's been on the fence about alien abduction, read the book. Just read the book. That's all I'm going to tell them. And then come out on the other side with, um, you know. The possibility of watching the movie. Um, I'm bla- I'm babbling right now. I don't even know what I'm saying. That's how dizzy this entire story is. Um, just read the book Communion and um, and take it for what it is. And uh, yeah. Well, before we go, Andrew, I gotta ask you, my man. What do you got coming up? Is there anything you can share with us? I know you're doing a lot of stuff digitally sure. right now. Um, yeah. What are you up to? Mm-hmm. So I um I work a lot with a theater company in New York called Random Access Theater, who are wonderful wonderful group of people. Have uh, been very good to me and have been great to work with. And they do a series known as the Drunk Texts, um, where they take either a classical text or a new text made classical, and they do semi-staged readings of them while getting progressively drunk. Um, they are drunk or they play drinking games as they're doing it. They encourage the audience to play drinking games along with them. And if you hear something like that and be like, man, I wish I could make my way out to New York to see something like that, that is no longer a problem currently because they've been doing, they just launched doing those digitally through Zoom calls. And it's just as crazy as it sounds. They started, um, at the beginning of last month or this month with a drunk reading of the importance of being earnest, um, which they just did that text of um, on the Facebook page of the people's improv theater in New York city. And coming up on May 1st, they'll be doing a reading of um, a Shakespearean version of the star Wars prequels which is just as fun and crazy as it sounds as they're getting drunk. Uh-huh. Um, and then on May May the 4th, uh, they will be doing a drunk reading of a Shakespearean version of the first Star Wars film, A New Hope, 
which I adapted for them. In I took the new hope, a new hope, and um, filed it down to twenty pages of Shakespearean dialogue. It's gonna be silly and fun. And we're going to get drunk while we're reading it. And you can watch it for free. You can, of course, donate to them as you're watching it if you feel so inclined. They love that. But, but yeah, on May the 4th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, log on to Facebook and go to the Facebook page of the People's Improv Theater in New York City. I'm also in a podcast that's been coming out pretty regularly um, called Buried Stereo which is a, uh, a play on um, old-timey radio. It's like a satire of old-timey radio shows. They've got three different shows that they made up specifically for this podcast that you'd almost swear were real radio shows at the time. Um, so if you like old-timey radio, definitely check those out. They're super fun. Um, if you want to uh, check out my other my podcast, Half White Sons of Black Man. We are on a smidge of a hiatus right now, but the old episodes are still a lot of fun to listen to. We play some improv games, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, I'm out there. Just keep your ears peeled. Follow me on Twitter at Sanford Minus Sun or check me out on Instagram at Half White Son of the Black Man. But yeah, May 4th, that would be the biggest thing. If you like Star Wars, if you like Shakespeare, ooh, have we got something to you or for you? <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. Yes, uh, for anyone listening, Andrew and I are both in the theater world, and we are we're taking a big hit right now. I mean, movies and television shows are mm-hmm. too, but we are a live audience medium, and uh, that's really tough for us right now. So we're adapting. Uh, companies are trying to figure out how they can still thrive and do what they do best and that's make theater so i'm glad to see that that company's doing that definitely people go check yeah man there's there's some of the hardest working people i've ever worked with before i can't say enough nice things about them so um give it a peek it's fun and it's even more fun if you're having a couple of drinks always (laughs) everything is especially (laughs) communion so brother i gotta thank you again for doing this for coming thank you this is one of the longest reviews i think i've ever done of a movie but it deserves it i think it truly does yeah and um i know this isn't the last time we're gonna be doing this i'm probably gonna hit you up in a week or so to do another one but um (laughs) That sounds amazing. I want to throw something to your audience, a little bit of a, uh, um, oh, what's the word? I'm th- a survey. Uh, Ryan had talked about doing another Alien movie, um, and I pitched The Faculty. And I think rightfully so, because it is a little bit more fiction. It's entirely fiction-based and more off of, uh, um, it's, it's basically just like a modern retelling of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, what movie would people like us to cover? Because I, I felt bad not having any suggestions. Um, but if there are more abduction movies out there, maybe especially ones that can create such a discussion like Communion did, I would be totally down to dive in and especially because they will probably be things that i have not seen before um so i would say to your audience if you have listened to this entire almost two hours of this episode (laughs) um, and maybe we can put this on twitter as a survey or something like that too what movies would you recommend um that are abduction films that we could check out and and pick apart 
like we did now. I absolutely love that. We're going to, I will definitely put that survey out um, when this airs and we will. Yeah. Let's hear from the audience. What do you guys want us to review? And maybe we can invite some people on to give their own thoughts and opinions as well. So they don't have to listen to us babble for two hours. But um, (laughs) this was so much fun. Thank you for um, helping me not go insane. And uh, to everyone out there, stay safe, be healthy, and we will see you on the other side. So thank you, Andrew. Thank you, buddy. Anytime. Produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.